Welcome to the REI Mastermind Network, where host Jack Haas gathers amazing stories from leaders in real estate investing. In each episode, our guests will tell you what they're doing that works, what they've tried that failed, and best of all, you'll learn actionable steps to take your real estate investing to the next level. Now, here's Jack with another value-packed episode. So we got Sean Moore with us here today with Vodacy.com, and I'm going to put a that link in the show notes, but it's spelled V-O-D-Y-E-Y.com in order to learn what him and his team are doing. But in a nutshell, Sean has been in the real estate investing game for 22 years, and uh, I always find it interesting, Sean, that you've been in this investing game for this long, and you've settled on short-term rentals and vacation rentals. Like, I hate to start this, and I rarely do this because they could go to your website and learn your background and your story. But after 22 years, I have to ask, like, how did you find yourself to this niche? Yeah, it's an interesting path that, that led us here for sure, Jack. And thanks so much for having us on. Super excited to chat with you and uh, all the listeners are spending time with us today. We know how valuable their time is and appreciate them spending it with us today. So what led me to this is, you know, I love real estate. Love. I've been in the real estate game for 22 years as a full-time investor, not just investing passively. I quit my job 22 years ago with a check of $19,000 in a dream and went from there. We burned the bridges and we've gone through a lot of different asset classes. And we primarily in the beginning, I wholesaled one deal and didn't really spend a lot of time wholesaling. I wholesaled one deal that got me that check for $19,000. I won't, I'll spare us. I know we're limited on time because you can a 22-year roadmap can take us a bit. But I got into the fix and flip game for a long time. Um, for six years, primarily, that's what we did. We'd buy fixer-upper houses. We'd fix them up, sell them. And, and that was our job. And that's what we did. And I remember going back in the day when I was doing that, I was 23 years old and I was really cocky, starting to make money, starting to make more money than even my parents made at the time doing this fix and having this fix and flip business with my wife. And I went to a real estate investment club, a local real estate investment club. And I went in there and I remember I'd walk in there with my chest out and telling everybody or walking around like I was the big dog in the real estate game, right? And it really would show up almost to just boost my... And at the time, I'd been doing it for a couple of years. This old guy named George, he put his arm around me and he said, Sean, you are not a real estate investor. You come in here, you act like you're the king shit on Turd Island and you're not... You're not who you think you are, right? You've got a job fixing up houses. If you stop doing that, you have nothing left at the end of the day. And really at the time I was taken back, my ego was crushed. I was really upset with George. I was like, man, what an asshole. I'm doing what every, everybody's dream, right? Quit your job at, in your 20s and making decent money. And I went home and I talked to Teresa and she said, maybe George is right. Maybe we, because he was, his point to me was, you don't have passive, if you don't have passive income coming in, you're really not an investor right? Doing something, you're trading your time for dollars. And so I started exploring what passive investments look like. And for me, the easiest thing at the time was single family rentals. And we got into the single family rental game. And for a couple of years back in, if you're, this was back in the early 2000s. And back then mortgage, mortgages were easy to get. If you could fog and marry, you could get a property. And you know, that this was about 2002 to 2004. Four, three or four ish. 
And we ended up getting 51 doors at the time and started building our passive investments with long-term single-family homes. And I start, I was still doing my fix and flip business and I had these single-family homes and they just weren't any fun for me to own. I was managing them myself. I wasn't making a ton of money, but I was making some money. My, my portfolio of 51 doors, it, was, it ended up being about 27 homes and 51 doors. Some of them were duplexes, a couple couple small fourplexes, but nothing big. Fourplex was the largest complex or units that we had. And at the time I was bringing in about $3,000 a month passively. And, but it just was, I could go fix a house and flip a house. And, and at the time we had a pretty decent little operation going where we were flipping 50, 60 homes a year at the time. And I'm like, man, I'm, I make 30 grand from one of these flips. I'm making three grand from my portfolio of all these homes. Just wasn't any fun. And in 2005, I made the decision that I was going to, I was going to bail and I was going to sell these houses off. And because I had made some money on it and I thought it was a genius, right? Because right then everything was starting to go a couple of years later, it started going down. It was really the biggest mistake I ever made in my career is getting rid of those properties that somebody else was buying, somebody else was paying for. And even though I wasn't getting rich off of it, it was something that I would have had if I had all those homes right now. And my passive income on those homes now would be significantly more than $3,000 because they'd be paid mm -hmm. off. And so I tell you that because as we started getting out of that, we started getting in, introduced to the resident or the, the really high-end resort property stuff. And we were exposed to a high-end resort that we were able to help sell and help market the, these, the owners of the resort. And we had a really fun time. When I say high-end, I'm talking like private ski golf. $25 million homes. We had two private jets at the airport. And so from 2006 to 2009, that's what my wife and I did. We were we went from fixing and flipping these regular, just bread and butter type homes, having this portfolio that we sold off. We got exposed to the resort side of life, albeit at the very high end, way higher end than we could ever afford personally. But we were exposed to this game of second homes, vacation homes. Now these were not vacation rentals by any stretch, but we were exposed into this game of, okay, there's this other world that people have these real estate that is really fun to own and really a, just a different lifestyle and having a lot of fun with it until one day in 2008, the feds came in, shut down the doors and the owners of the resort got indicted on securities charges and literally shut down overnight. So a lot of people think that, man, we it was, this was in 2009 when th a lot of things were sliding. We weren't seeing a big slide at that level. But when you're uber wealthy, most of those people actually make a lot more money during the slides. And, but a lot of, but we ended up basically losing everything. I threw myself a six month pity party. I sat and pounded my head or hand on the counter table. And I said, this isn't my fault. I looked at everybody else and I just played that victim role for six months. And, but at the time, at the end of the day, I short sold my house. We lost our cars. We started losing everything. And I had to sit there and say, by the finally, at the end of the day, saying, okay, what, what can I go do now? I don't have anything to go do. And I started saying, hey, I've got my real estate license because we had to do that with that resort. And I started going and selling residential real estate. And it was really the only thing I knew. And getting into residential real estate in 2009 wasn't the best option, but it felt like the only option. And I didn't have any money to go back and start fixing and flipping homes. I didn't. I just didn't feel like that was in the cards for me at that time. And so I started get, selling real estate and, and my wife and I struggled with fertility for years and years. And 
So we ended up having to do in vitro and it, it was really expensive. It's not covered by insurance. We had to write a check for about a hundred thousand dollars. And I, at the time we finally started making money again. I started selling a bunch of real estate. We got nominated for the large sales team of the year in Utah. And we just were, we were really hustling, finally putting money in our pocket. And then we decided to run down this road with fertility and wrote the check, ended up getting very lucky and having ended up with twins. We ended up with a boy and girl twin and just, and at that time, when we had Wyatt and Grace, that's when I really started to say, okay, what do I really want here? This cocky guy that I felt like I could make money. Even when I had lost it, we could go make it again. We could just hustle, roll up our sleeves, make things happen. But when the kids were born, I started asking different questions. I started wondering, what really do I want to do? And there was a couple of things that I loved. I loved real estate. I just had always been, I always enjoyed investing in real estate. The conversation with George of saying, okay, if you're really going to build something, if you're really going to build this legacy for yourself and your kids and everything else, it's got to have a passive component. The other thing that was interesting is I had loved that resort lifestyle. I loved that vacation type of a lifestyle with those high-end second homes. And I started to think, what could I do that would combine those two things. And the other thing that had happened is we had actually had, at the time we lost our property and short sold our property, we had actually had a vacation home in the mountains in Utah. And I didn't lose that vacation home. We, that was, that performed the whole time we had it. And we lost everything except for this vacation home. And this was way before short-term rentals, Airbnbs got really popular. This is like we bought it in 2005, six, and then and held it through the slide when not only the real estate slide, but my personal slide, my personal, when we had lost everything. And this was back in, in about 2013, 2014. And I started to say, this is it. This is what I want to do. I started looking into short-term rentals. And that's really when we decided maybe this is an asset class that we could treat as this passive investment. It solves some problems where we can use it personally with our own lifestyle. I can build a portfolio that I'm proud to own. I'm, I have fun with. And we really started, I started at that time, really starting to put together what we do now, which is, which is strictly invest in vacation homes and this, and we own them. And so that's kind of a fast forward through the progress, but I had that's how I came to the conclusion that this is what we wanted to do. Now, the conclusion I've also come to is this isn't for everyone. And to your point, it's when you talk to a lot of other investors, they wonder, well, I get that it's trendy right now. I get that there's a bunch of people jumping into it, which frankly, probably should hit the pause button until they understand what they're getting into. But because it can, it's not always very passive and you have to set it up to, it can be very passive. But you have to very specifically think about how you're going to set them up or else it can be, you can spend a lot of time operating and managing vacation rentals. But for us, that's what, that's how we got into the game. And then in, in 2017 ish, 2018, we started putting together Bodice as it is now and started helping people build these portfolios as well. Long winded answer for you there, Jack, but it was, that's really what brought us to this, this game we're in right now. Yeah, I appreciate that. And I know we spent 10 minutes on that, but I think it was quite important. In fact, you brought up a ton of nuggets there, excuse me, <clears throat> that I think we need to take a minute to focus on. First of all, you talked about doing your fix and flipping and that it turned into a job. I can't stress that enough. And it ties into what you said later is that 
what do you really want here? And I frankly don't think a lot of people who get into real estate investing, for, especially early on, take a second and actually ask that question. I'm a big proponent in the concept that, you know, if it's something that you're thinking about and you're dreaming about it, it, and it, you don't take a moment and write it down, it's just a dream. When you put it on paper and you plan it out and you ask questions like, what do I really want here? That's when it becomes a target and it becomes something that we can achieve. I can't, I just can't, I just really appreciate you taking that time to, to bring that up. Circling back on something else you said is that this is somewhat trendy and it's not for everyone. And I hate to be the Debbie Downer, but I need you to tell our audience, who is this not for? Yeah, it's a great question. To, to back up to your point, the first thing that we do and the first thing that I think anybody should do is really identify what your property goals are and what your, not only your property goals, but your investing goals, and everything else, because there's not one asset class that solves the problem for every single one of us. Otherwise we would all invest in the same assets. They all have their pros and cons, including short-term rentals. Short-term rentals are such that there's a few things that you have to, they're very difficult to scale at a large scale. If you're like, Hey, I'm I'm, I want to have hundreds of millions of dollars of real estate. Short-term rentals are probably not the asset class for you, right? There's a reason institutional money has not gotten into the short-term rental game. They love it as an asset class, but most of them come into the game, institutional type money. Most of it comes into the game as lenders. You've had some major hospitality brands trying to break into the short-term rental game with the Marriott's and the Hilton's and they get back out of it. And they say, hey, listen, we're going to, Marriott's getting back into it as their own Airbnb, if you will, as an online travel agency with Marriott Homes and Villas. So it's not for you if you feel like, okay, I've got, I want to invest a whole bunch of money. The other thing it's not for is if you're looking for a passive investment, and I think I can count on one hand and usually one finger, and it's you, is somebody who's going to tell you to set these properties up to run passively and have full service property management and everything else on the back end. I, I, that's what I teach. It's how I don't manage any of my own properties because I don't want a second job. And so now some people enjoy that. So if you're not looking for a second job, you can still invest in short-term rentals, but it's got a big asterisk, right? You've got to make sure that the properties that you're looking at can underwrite with a 30% management fee in them. And not every property can underwrite with 30% management coming off the gross revenue. And so there's a lot of, if you're looking for something passive, and even then, if you don't have the time on the front end, in the acquisition phase, in the setup phase, to put that property, to set it up to where, when I say set up, I mean set it up to deliver a unique experience, to think all the way through that, to, so that the property can actually stand out in these crowded markets that we have. That stuff takes time on the front end. It's very, even the way that we do it. If, you're, if you don't have the time during that acquisition phase, during that setup phase, because I have fig not yet figured out, maybe somebody else smarter than me can, how to automate that or make that passive and have somebody else do it for you. And so when you get into this game, there's going to be a big time element that you're going to have to say, okay, am I willing to put the time in to make sure that I can buy a property and set up a property so that it can operate profitably? And then even if, and that's if you're having full service management, if you don't want to do full service management, and you're going to manage your own property. Now you have to say, do I have the time to actually manage these types of properties? Because you have a handful of guests coming in and out of a property every single month. You have to communicate with you. You have to make sure that everything's ready for. 
even if you outsource your cleaning and your maintenance and you're going to have the best software tools available that it's all automated, it is still very much a hands-on business. There's a reason management companies charge 30% of gross revenue. So that's really the biggest thing of people who this is not for. You have to know what you're getting into. Go into it with your eyes wide open. It's not as easy as saying, hey, I want a house on the beach and I'm going to go buy one and I'm going to throw it on Airbnb and I can use it when I want to. That's not the game to be played. You, you mentioned trying to make this as passive as possible and you don't manage any of these properties yourself. And this is an avenue that I've, I haven't gone through before in, in this regards, to be frank, is I know of property management companies that manage standard rentals. Yeah. How do you find somebody to help you manage these type of rentals? And yeah, it's a great question. You'll be asking. Yeah, and there's a lot of those que- a lot of questions, right? But most of these markets that you go into, short-term rentals have become a very mainstream asset class at this stage. When something becomes mainstream, the subsidiary businesses that service that industry start to pop up, and management companies are no different. It's a major it's a major piece of the vacation rental industry. And so, you've got these management companies and you've got hybrid approaches where they'll do part of it and you have to do part of it. And then you've got full service managers that are out there. They're very, really pretty easy to find. Just a quick Google search will have them. But for the most part, you're, they're available. Where you run into problems is some really remote or rural areas that might not be super populated. Then it's a little bit more of a struggle to find them. A lot of times we'll go on the major OTAs like VRBO, like Airbnb, we'll look for those super hosts and they're typically sometimes smaller boutique management companies that just look like people on there, but we reach out to them directly. And it's surprising how many of them manage a handful of properties and they can be a good resource in those areas. Other areas like a, a Destin, Florida or somewhere like that, that's a popular vacation area, you're going to have dozens and dozens of choices. And the few things you're looking for really, it's not always just what they're charging. That's the first thing people always ask. I don't want to pay 30%. Somebody told me 20%, so I'm going with That's not always what you want. They're not all created equal. Just like anything else, you want to make sure that their management style fits your property goals. Are they willing to operate toward the top end of the market if that's what your goal is? Are they, what is their business strategy? Is it a pricing strategy? Is it a, okay, we're going to deliver better service and we're going to operate and be able to charge more because of that. What does that service look like? How involved are you as, a, as an owner? Lots of different questions as you navigate management. But there's a, lot of, there's a lot of really good management companies out there. But it's one of, it's one of the most important decisions you make if you're going to operate these properties passively. And probably my least favorite part of the process It's just like hiring somebody. If you've ever gone through hiring a new employee, none of us like to go through the resumes. None none of us like to do all those interviews. But the longer and more diligent we are with that process, the better chance we have of the right fit and the great partner on the back end. And a great partner can be worth their weight in gold. And on the flip side of that, if you just rush into it and buy the or hire the first management company you come across on Google, you're rolling the dice and it might not be the great partner. And then having to make that change is a lot more painful than doing it correctly in the beginning. Slow, slow to hire, quick to fire. Yes, absolutely. That, that old adage. Absolutely. So to circle back on some of the assets that you're talking about now, as you mentioned a couple of times, high end second homes, are you primarily focused on higher end type great. properties? Yeah. Great question. Cause it's a misconception that a lot of people have. Absolutely not. This is our, my personal portfolio ranges from 
very budget friendly type properties to a little bit higher end. I don't ever, I don't actually have the Uber high end. We've got members that their personal property portfolios look a lot different than mine, even though we're following the same process. But this can be done in a lot in a up and down the board as far as price points, property types, everything else. There's a it's very important to understand who your target audience is, who you're who you're going to be targeting when you buy a property. I'm not a believer that you just go buy a property in a hot area and if you build it, they will come and everybody's going to come. I like to set properties up very specifically for different target audiences. I like to be a part of that target audience so I understand them when I'm talking to them and setting up the property. But I just I've got properties that are little one bedroom, one bath condos that are affordable for somebody to go use them. We've got properties that are a lot bigger that families can split them up and use them. But it can be really across the board. But it's more important to understand who your target audience is, how your how that property solves their can solve their travel and host, or hosting needs. But more importantly, what can you do with that property to deliver a unique experience in the area that you're buying? And the other misconception a lot of people have is that they have to be in vacation areas. The Those midterm stays and a lot of the urban areas are actually on the rise again. They were, or, I mean, short-term rentals and Airbnb really started in the urban city areas. That's how the company started when COVID hit and a lot of those areas kind of shut down and those areas suffered a little bit more than the vacation areas, but they're on their way rebounding right back up. But like, we have one of our members who's a traveling nurse and he buys properties around major medical centers because there's always those traveling medical professionals that are coming in and out of his properties. And and he that's who his target audience is. That's how he sets the properties up and it solves a great need. And so it doesn't always have to be these vacation areas when you're talking about short-term rentals. You mentioned you yourself, it sounds like you don't have all of your rentals in one place. How does somebody pick the areas in which they should invest or should they stick to just their backyard or how, do, how does that process look? Yeah, it's a good question. And it's the number one question we probably get is where's the best areas to invest? And it's the wherever you go, you'll find a list of the top areas to invest because the everybody who's writing the blogs, they know that's going to get clicked on. We really try to take the analytics out of it because I'm a big believer that there is there are good properties and there's bad properties in every area. Even if you pick the number one area to invest on all the lists, and you that doesn't mean you just go buy a property there and it's going to perform. So it's more important to understand how a property performs, how to underwrite a property. So we really take a step back and we when we're talking about property goals in the beginning, and we're talking about what you're looking, the capital you have available the areas that you would like to own a second home, whether that, it, what is the reason you want to own these type of properties? Like the traveling nurse, for example, he's not buying in the vacation areas that he wants to go to. Somebody else might say, hey, I really would like a, a home in the mountains or I want a home on the beach. And so we'll focus on the areas that they would like to own. I There's very few areas that don't work for vacation rentals. And so I, instead of trying to pick the best area based on all the analytics and everything, because the analytics and the analysis and the underwriting, that's going to come and that's going to come really fast. But that comes whether you're buying in the top area or not so top area. And frankly, some of the lesser known areas, I call them backyard resort communities that are a couple hours drive from major metropolitan areas that unless you're regionally located there, you might never have heard of them. Some of those areas perform better than some of the very top vacation markets that are ranked really high. And so I always help people and encourage them to choose markets that they would like, that they might be familiar with, 
and that fit within their property goals of what they're really trying to do. Because this is a long-term investment, right? I always say we're, we're, this, is, we're, this is a long-term investment strategy for us who buy these properties in short-term rentals. And so you don't want to get so short-sighted that you're just building a portfolio because you saw this area on a list and analytically it looked like it had a really good ratio of acquisition price and revenue because that changes, right? That changes over time. So if you don't understand the fundamentals of the business and how to operate profitably and successfully in any market, then you're setting yourself up for some frustrations and some down the line when those markets do shift. We're, I believe we're going into a major shift right now. And so having that, that understanding of really the underwriting and really what it takes to stand out in these crowded markets, now all of a sudden, this, the process is location agnostic instead of saying, okay, I'm going to rely so much on the location or the market itself. So I, I'm curious, you've been doing this for quite a while now. What is the one or two things that you have learned over your course of doing short-term rentals that you would have known when you first started out? Yeah. One is one is that just what I was just talking. About. I would have thought right when I started off that the location mattered more than it did. The what I've realized is understanding how to communicate and connect with a specific target audience is way more important on the marketing side to stand out in these crowded markets. I always believe that niching down further is, and we've noticed and seen a direct correlation with this with our properties and all of our members' properties that we help do this is really dialing in and speaking to a specific niche group in this game works really well. I would have never known that until we did that and tried that. We see how well that works right now. And that's not something that a lot of people do, frankly. And why? And so imagine I had a property up in by Yellowstone National Park and lots of huge national park, lots of visitors, millions of visitors a year. We had a beautiful cabin on a lake and 10 minutes from the park, lots of other beautiful cabins on the lake. And we, what we did is we narrowed down our focus to a very specific fly fishing group and our property, which we charged almost three times what our neighbors charged. And they both, they all had beautiful properties on the same lake. And, but we, what we did is we set that property up for a very specific group instead of for everybody coming to that area. And it, when you speak to a specific group, if I'm on, if I'm a fly fisherman, I'm on Airbnb and I'm searching through all this stuff. And all these beautiful cabins, all these beautiful properties. But then this one person is speaking directly to me, like a, like they took a page out of my diary. Now, all of a sudden, that just stands out on the page. And that's where I want to go. So that's a little bit of an example of what I'm talking about there. That whole property was set up for fly fishermen and not in a, not in like a cheesy design theme, like in the way that we, the way that when they walked in, they had all the things that they needed as fly fishermen. We had waiter drying stations. We had rod carriers for their cars. We had drip boats. We had our box of our favorite flies. We had the guide services ready for them, like all those different things that, and all of a sudden they'll pay extra for that. And so that's something that I never would have thought getting into the game. Cause I would have thought, Hey, we just need to have a model home that stands out or is set up really nicely with great pictures. Um, as we started to, as these markets started to get more and more saturated, as everybody started getting into vacation rentals, we had to think, okay. We have, you have to think like a business owner, right? When you're out in a very crowded marketplace, what can you do to stand out? And a lot of times that is by getting more and more specific. You know, that that is really a great tip because I've asked people previously exactly that type. You beat me to the punch because I was going to ask you how to stand out in the crowd because 
these platforms are just full. I mean, yeah. it, it, and it's really hard to stand out, but that's a very clever, specific, actionable item there that that somebody could t- really take advantage of. Yeah, and I wish more people would do it. It's you, the return on the time and effort you spend doing that is is crazy. It's we, and we've seen it over and over. Our group at Vodacy, we have almost thirteen hundred active investors across the country, a collective portfolio of now nearing a thousand homes. So it's not like we've seen this on a handful of homes. We do this over and it's amazing how everybody will tell you, don't use cell phone pictures and get brighter pictures and professional photos. We say the same thing, but that doesn't stand make you stand out in these markets anymore. The markets are crowded enough that there's a lot of great properties in every area. So you have mm-hmm. to do, you have to go that extra mile. And a lot of times it's not there's not much else you can do with your property. It's already set up beautifully. So now you have to think like a business owner and a marketer of now I have to really get specific. Sure. With all that being said, people are considering this now. You've convinced them of it. I'm going to even send them over to vodacy.com to get some assistance from you and your team. I want you to share a story with regarding one of your students. Give us one of your big successes. Yeah, that's great, man. Let's see here. One of our one of our members who really who came to me. This is a good story because it has a, a few different learning points. I think hopefully, one of our members had a property that was under contract before COVID hit, and this property we were looking at, we were analyzing it, and he called me up and said, "Shot man, the underwriting you taught me. This property looks like a really good deal, but this has been a short term rental for six years, and it's never really produced. It was a property with seven hundred fifty thousand dollars down in Destin." And it had never really made any more than $63,000. Just for rough numbers, for those people who aren't familiar with this asset class, your break-even, if you have full service management, is about, you need to generate about 10% of the acquisition price to break even. So at a $750,000 acquisition price, he needs to generate about $75,000 in gross revenue just to break even for the year, for mortgage payments, all expenses, management, everything else, right? So $63,000 at their best in the past five years, this property didn't make any money. But he's like, man, I'm underwriting. It looks like this is a good deal. And that's one of the things that is important is to understand that underwriting instead of just going to look and say, what does it do? Is it could be overperforming. It could be underperforming. In this case, this property is underperforming. And he was able to recognize that. At this time, even before COVID, this was a really hot area. And the, prop- the average time on the market was two weeks. This property had been on the market for five months. Nobody wanted it. Something, something seems wrong with it, right? It was because it lost money. So I said, Jeff, it looks good. And Jeff decided to move forward right as he was about two days before he was about to close. COVID hit and all the, everything's starting to tighten up. And I know it only tightened up for a short period of time. But when it hit, everybody was pretty nervous. Like, we don't know what the heck's going on here. So he said, what do you think I should do? I said, listen, I'm, I do this for the long term, but I don't want to make the decision for you. I don't know what's going to happen here, but I think that when you analyze for the long term, the short term rentals at that point had become a lot more mainstream even than they are now. I feel comfortable with moving forward. He ended up pulling the trigger on that property. He put about $50,000 into it made and just gave it a kind of paint job, facelift, new photos, a couple items of furniture, just made it look nicer, but didn't do anything major. And property now he's got, he was into it for 800. His first year that he performed, and that was with, was, and it took him about two months to get the property launched. He launched in May that year, the weekend of, of, Mem- or of Labor Day that week, or excuse me, Memorial Day that weekend. 
and generated $45,000 in income the first week he was on the market. So almost recouped his entire $50,000 rehab that he put into it. The first year he ended up netting about one six or excuse me, grossing 163,000 netted about 65, $68,000 in his pocket. This, the next year he grossed about 225, put over a hundred thousand dollars in his pocket on a $150,000 total investment. So it was a really good ride that he actually just got offered the pro on the property 2.2 million. So one heck of a, one heck of an investment there for him. But a, the reason I tell you that story is a lot of people wouldn't have trusted the underwriting. A lot of people ignored that property for five months. A lot of people when COVID hit would have said, I'm not moving forward. And so the point of that is there's always going to be challenges. If you understand the fundamentals and your property goals and why you're doing things, it gives you the confidence to move forward even through some of those sticking points. There's always going to be fires. There's always going to be challenges. It's how you decide to put those out that's going to matter long-term for you. Yeah. And one of the reasons that I've asked you to share one of those stories, Sean, and this is like the perfect example of this, is that we talk time and time again on this show that we can either put in the 10,000 hours and become an expert, or we can rely on those people in our network to that, that have already made that investment that we yeah. can learn from each other or that we can. And I know that let's be transparent, Sean, you're making money on helping people with this. There's no comparison. There's no reason to hide that. No. But when you hire a company such as yours to learn from the the that person would have never had that opportunity before. They would have missed that opportunity without some of your help and direction and your mentorship. So I just I had just had to take a minute and have you provide some of that focus. Yeah. Sean, this has been a great conversation. I could just keep going on and on because we didn't even touch on the concept. So I'm gonna I'm gonna since you talked about fly fishing, I'm gonna bait you a little bit. Yeah, nice. Hopefully you'll come back and we can talk a little bit about processes and procedures and how to scale some of this because I can only imagine the amount of information and setting up this that you'd have to put into place because I still have yet to get my mind completely wrapped around vacation rentals. It, the numbers have, for some reason, have never clicked for me. We probably could just keep going. But before I let you go on this episode, what is thought or process or question you wish we would have asked here today? Yeah, no, I appreciate that there, Jack. And you really kind of led into what I would suggest or always leave somebody with the thought is Tony Robbins always says you hire coaches, not for something new. Most of us, we've been down the road. Sure, we're going to share techniques and, and strategies that you may not have heard of because you don't know what you don't know when you get into something. New. But really, what you're trying to do is compress time. Tony always says he compresses decades and days. I'm definitely not that talented, but it, that's why we hire coaches. And anytime you're going to get into something new, whether it's vacation rentals, whether it's multifamily investing, whether it's fix and flip, whatever you decide to do or anything really in life, think about, I always, what we have a tendency to do is ask, how am I going to do that? And a long time, what I, somebody taught me, you start to ask who can help you with that. And when you can figure out who can help you, not only can they compress that time, but there's a lot of, there's a lot of every, no, it doesn't matter what road you run down. A road is never straight. There's always going to be challenges and speed bumps and things along the way. And that the right person there 
not only can help you navigate, but a lot of times the right person is going to ask you to ask yourself the question, is this really what you want to do? That's the first thing that we ask anybody that even thinks about getting into the short-term rental game is, do you know what you're getting into? Is this the road you want to run down? And when the answer ends up being yes, because you made an informed decision, then we run fast, right? Then we commit. We don't dabble. We dive in and we're committed to the process. But find out and make sure that person that you're working with actually does what you want to do. There's even with short-term rentals, there's ways to get into short-term rentals without owning properties. There's ways to do rental arbitrage, to co-host, to do all those different things. We don't do that. I wouldn't be the right person to ask for that. Even though we know the game, that's not what I do. I buy properties and invest in properties. And if somebody came to me and said, hey, Sean, can you teach me fix and flip? Well, I haven't done fix and flips for 15 years now. And so, yeah, could I? But is there somebody else that's better that's doing it right now and in the game right now? And as you dive into anything and navigate anything new or want to take it to the next level in something else, ask that question of who, not how. And I think that'll help us all as we progress and grow and really try to expand on what we're doing. Yeah, I, that, that's what I'd say. I'd leave everybody with there, Jack. And I definitely would love to come back. I know we could talk for a lot longer on this and uh, I had a lot of fun here today with you. I appreciate you having me on. Yeah, no, I really appreciate your time, Sean. Again, it is vodacy.com. I'll make sure to have that link in the show notes so you know where to find that. Head over to reimastermind.net for that or swipe what on your podcasting app. Sean, I really appreciate it. You're welcome back anytime, and I hope to talk again soon. Awesome. Thanks for having me. Have you learned at least one actionable step to incorporate into your real estate investing? If so, please consider returning some of that value by leaving a positive review, subscribing to our YouTube channel, or joining our growing network on Facebook and Twitter. You can find links to all of our social media accounts in the show notes. See you next time.